0: Hi, I'm Kim Vu. Welcome to Vietnola, the show about being Vietnamese in New Orleans. Vietnola is our window into our Vietnamese community in New Orleans and a bridge to Vietnam. We're a member of the family of shows on the podcast network, itsneworleans.com. Xin chào quý vị. Đây là bài Vietnola, chương trình phát hành về cộng động Việt Nam and New Orleans. Vietnola là một cánh cửa để nhìn vào cộng động New Orleans và một cạnh nối với quê hương. Vietnola là một số... Ziin Chong Chung Jing Fab Hang Podcast It's Today on the show we'll have a conversation with Kuok Huang, administrative faculty at Tulane University's Freeman School of Business. Kuok hails from Toronto, where he moved in 1979 after being born in a Vietnamese refugee camp in Malaysia. The son of two immigrants, Quuk and his family, were some of the first individuals forming the Vietnamese community that currently has a presence in Toronto's rich and complex ethnic tapestry. Today, Toronto now boasts a Vietnamese-descended population of 45,000, almost quadrupling that of Montreal, the first largest base of Vietnamese refugees. Since then, careers of his and his Filipino-Canadian wife, Chris, have taken them to New Orleans, where they have settled indefinitely adding to our own population of approximately 20,000 people of Vietnamese descent. As administrative faculty, Quoc currently is a strategic advisor to the operation and continued development of Tulane's business school. He's joined me here today to share some thoughts on being first-generation Vietnamese North American and settling down in another Vietnamese nucleus city. Quoc, thank you so much for coming and welcome.
1: Thank you for the opportunity of being here. I'm really excited.
0: As I, I'm glad you're excited. I, I, I'm I, glad that you really followed up on the show before you decided to be on it. And it's it's also very flattering that someone um, who's really smart likes the show. So <laughs> thanks for participating. I mean,
1: when I heard about what you were trying to do with the show, I think it really brought out something personal in me about mm-hmm. my journey of being a Canadian kid, really, um, with this Vietnamese background that I didn't really know too much about and that eventually i i discovered growing up and so this 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 radio show um it, it's interesting to me it, it immediately set off something that says hey i really want to get to know you better and i'd love to be resonated. on the show
0: i mean i think we uh, it sounds like you like myself had parents who were very driven and we're so used to having to be driven it in, in a sense you have to kind of stop and think about your ethnicity, because you're just kind of trying to get really good grades and get into graduate school to some degree. Is yeah,
1: it's it- like you're telling the story of my life. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and then you feel like you're, you know, why do I, why is this not such an easy recipe when you're kind of, you feel like a little bit like a weirdo, you know? And so, you know, when when I first talked to you and, You know, I think we're just a few years apart from each other. It was actually really fun for me, too. Um, I definitely, I'm thinking about it, and of the guests we've had on the show, I think you and I are the closest in age, and, uh, you know, your parents are professionals as well, right?
1: That's correct, yeah. uh, They're both in the electrical design area. Uh Uh-huh.
0: As I mentioned in the lead-in, there are about 45,000 people of Vietnamese origin in Toronto, about twice that amount of here, which is a pretty notorious or famous and, and respected uh, community, Vietnamese community. Uh, but when you moved there in 1979, that really wasn't the case. What's your recollection like of the Vietnamese community growing up in the 80s and 90s? What, what did that mean to you? Did you have just, you know, swarms of family friends who came over at the same time. What was that like?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, we moved to Canada in January 1980. And at that time, I was only two months old. So my recollections are entirely based on stories that my parents tell me um, and some very vague memories. Mm -hmm. So when we first moved there, um, my parents were on their own. Um, My mom had actually had two older brothers that had Immigrated to the United States mm-hmm. in California. Uh, but just because of uh, the opportunity to come to Canada and their ability to get out of the refugee camp, they, they went to Canada. And so they were actually on their own.
0: So they were going to have to wait longer in order to leave the camp if they wanted to go to the United States? That's
1: right. My understanding is when they were in the refugee camp, they met representatives from many different countries um, that had various programs to support the immigration of refugees. and. Mm-hmm. Canada came up and it was available and I think they jumped at it Mm -hmm. and so they they were able to leave in January 1980 to come to Canada.
0: Competition not quite as stiff with below zero temperatures for Vietnamese immigrants. Huh? It's
1: interesting you say that, right? <laughs> um, c- coming to Canada, January 1980, I just assumed it would <laughs> be a tough time. They would get back on the boat, exactly, and right? Go like, right back. And, and 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 what they told me was that the the months prior, they were in basically like a jungle, uh-huh. um, an area <laughs> Malaysia. in Malaysia where they had landed, and they just kind of set aside an area where it's like you can you can be here. Um, and so they called it a refugee camp, but it was really just an area that they said, you can be here. Uh-huh. Um, and so as I was telling the story to my wife, she was kind of like saying how it kind of sounds like Survivor. And I'm like, actually, that's probably <laughs> the thing I can liken it to, to the most in my life. is, Except so you
0: I, want to get off the island. That's right. Right. So then,
1: so then they come to Canada. I'm thinking, OK, you're in this like warm climate. Mm-hmm. Now you go to Canada, which is a very foreign place. Uh, you don't speak English very well. And it's cold. And so when I asked my mom, I said, well, was it tough early on? And she said, well, you got to remember, like, we didn't have a whole lot uh, mm-hmm. in the camp. So now we're in uh, a country that we think we could build a future. We have warm clothes. Uh, we have good food. And <laughs> they discovered the- down. Exactly. Some <laughs> of those things were just like, she said, you know what? We didn't think about the cold too much. Interesting. And so, yeah, it's uh, I guess it worked out in the end.
0: <laughs> you know, my my father had a short stint as a professor in or re- doing research in St. Louis, and he had they had just lived in uh, San Diego. And for doctors and researchers, it's you know the best gig that you get, you take. And they did, I think, a couple years. And my mom said to my dad, Please don't make me live with snow. <laughs> <laughs> but they were definitely, uh, I think, they had problems if they wanted to go back to Vietnam, but they were not refugees mm-hmm. when they came to this country. So uh, that was her one. She's like, people were really nice there. But it's not like us to live with snow, Kim. And I
1: think, I mean, my parents have been in in Canada now for uh, about 35 years. And I think they're getting soft now because now they're now thinking, okay, where can we move now that's uh, a little warmer? And so they love to come visit us here in New Orleans because of the climate. And so they've been here twice now and maybe about a year and a half that we've lived here.
0: Great. So have they, have they, have you taken them into the Vietnamese neighborhoods? Yeah, I mean, there.
1: we've gone into, uh, we've, we've eaten a lot of Vietnamese, both on the West Bank and out in the East, and uh, and we went out to a couple restaurants and just out to, uh, I guess, where the, uh, the church is, uh-huh. the Mary Queen of Vietnam out there. But uh-huh. uh, uh, slowly, each trip, we're trying to introduce them to a little bit more uh, of the different parts of New Orleans.
0: Uh-huh. So you'll be uh, buying them a home soon next to yours or building a mother-in-law lounge? Well, in we'll,
1: we'll see. Uh, I'll, I got to <laughs> talk to the boss to see what she thinks about that first.
0: Fair enough. Fair enough. So your dad, it sounds like um, your narrative is had good fortune quite early. He In Vietnam, what, would, what did he do exactly?
1: Uh, I believe he studied engineering and that he had some experience with construction okay. or working on construction projects, that is.
0: And then he came here, and then what happened?
1: Amazingly, he got a job within two months of landing in Canada. So um, in March of 1980, he managed to get a job um, through actually the help of our sponsors. So the, the program that supported us, um, uh, some sponsors, uh, supported us financially and as well as with our transition. And they knew of an engineer, uh, actually a Jewish engineer, um, who had his own firm. And and this man had survived, actually, the Holocaust as a young child. And I guess he, he just identified with my dad's story of someone who, who was leaving um, his country and I guess at a period of strife to come to Canada to build a better life for himself. And so in this terrible economy of the early 80s, he hires an immigrant who barely speaks English <laughs> and doesn't have, I guess, North American experience. So I look back on this and I find it amazing. Yeah. Um, as a real turning point for our lives of this man that just said, I, I understand your situation. I would love to give you a job. And, and my dad actually ended up working there for, I think, over 15 years.
0: Do you still keep in touch with these uh, families that were there and in the integral part of your families?
1: I don't believe family? so. I think I think my parents might see some of the... I think his daughter sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't think that we keep in touch with either the sponsors or the gentleman I was talking about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I think um, my mother, too, she used to keep in touch with the woman who sponsored her, but, I mean, she's well into her 90s, and at a certain point it became difficult to kind of hold on to all those ties, I think.
1: Yeah, and I, I think what my dad said something when, when kind of tying it a little bit back to your question about how did what was the Vietnamese community like at that time, uh, th- there were a few people that they met through different programs, but my dad just kind of said, we're in this new country and we're trying to build a new life. We were very focused on that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, he was going to night school in the evenings and 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 although he met these other people, when the opportunities arose, they would interact, um, maybe at like date or, or different things like that. But mm-hmm. but really, he's just like, we're just trying to make our lives for ourselves. So mm-hmm. we're just focused on that. And so I think sometimes, and maybe that's in part why, you know, you lose touch because you just you just focus on building a life.
0: Nowadays, when there is a pretty sizable Vietnamese population, do your parents socialize with Vietnamese people more heavily? Oh, definitely. Uh-huh.
1: Um, I sometimes joke that my parents are more social than I am. Uh huh. Um, yeah, my parents
0: they, too. They went out way more than I do as, it, as a high school. Exactly. Right? Oh, yeah. And it was so embarrassing. Actually, <laughs> it was really embarrassing. And,
1: but I think for them, it's it's you were away from your friends and family for so long, mm-hmm. and now over this period of. 10, 20, 30 years, um, you reconnect with different people that you may have known, but also with people that have similar stories. And and so now, yeah, definitely, they, uh, they're they very much integrated uh, with, with the Vietnamese community, they have a great group of Vietnamese friends.
0: That narrative of your parents saying, listen, I, I'm getting to hang out with my friends now from my country, kind of reminds me of when I lived as an expat in Vietnam. And I think Uh, that experience also resonated with you when we talked about it before the show Um, you know at a certain point I I found myself living in Vietnam and I am of Vietnamese origin but frankly I mean come on let's face it I don't look typical Vietnamese I'm like kind of big for a girl a Vietnamese girl (laughs) I was back then Um, and I hung out with a lot of expats I also hung out with expat uh, western expats but also with what vietnamese in vietnam refer to as viet giu are or, or people who are of vietnamese origin and left or moved which is the meaning of the word giu to other countries and then came back to vietnam for i guess in a lot of ways kind of a cultural journey uh, and I met a lot of expats but um, who were Vietnamese, but from France or from... It sounds like you did too.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think the trip was in 2010. And we only spent four days, uh, primarily in Saigon. Um, but yeah, I, it was probably the first time where I felt like being Vietnamese meant something. Um, I met people that left um, and went to places like Sweden, the U.S., France... Um, and these, like, I didn't know these people. Like, these, these were just people that uh, I knew. One person that kind of showed me around, and I started to meet these other folks. And we drank, we ate together, uh, we talked a little bit, and I just, I felt like I got them. And it was the first time I felt like being Vietnamese meant something more than just my family, right? Because mm-hmm. up to that point, being Vietnamese was my experience with my family, which was wonderful. But it was just. You know, your family is your family. And then you go out and you have your life, where, whether that's school, work, um, and your hobbies. And those were all things that I just associated with being Canadian.
0: Right. You forgot there's like a whole country that's where right. your parents came from that have, where people have similar characteristics. Yeah, and
1: that's, and it, it, it was fun because I got there and I, I felt like I really belonged there. Uh And uh, that was a really nice experience for me.
0: Mystery solved in a lot of ways. Yeah.
1: right. And and it's definitely lit something in me that says, let's figure a way to get back there. Uh Um, Whether it's just Chris and I uh, or with my family, uh, my parents, my brothers and and their spouses and stuff.
0: Yeah. On a less serious note, I remember going there and realizing, uh, looking at a traffic jam and being completely aware of the fact like, Oh my God! There's an entire country that drives like my father. An entire country. It is not just my dad being weird. It is like nobody listens to traffic rules in this country. So that was a mystery that was like had a borderline profound effect on me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I, I I remember what it was like to realize that kind of quirks or things you're aunts or uncles even did, you recognize in people who were street vendors or, or like professors at the university or something. Yeah. So that, yeah, it definitely definitely sounds like we had kind of a parallel experience going back to Vietnam. And I think a lot of Vietnamese Americans or Vietnamese slash Westerners do, yeah. you know, in a big sense. Um, I thought it was funny, your uh, your tricks of the trade of how to keep cool in Vietnam and not cool as in, you know, Joe cool but cool as in temperature cool.
1: Yeah uh, and when I first moved down to the south um, people always used to tell me oh it's going to be really hot in New Orleans. I said you know what I the hottest I've ever been is in Vietnam. Um, We went right in the middle of the summer and uh, yeah I I couldn't believe how hot I was but what it made me realize was I really appreciated taking cold showers. Um, (laughs) I probably took two or three showers a day and it was like the, the most wonderful experience because of how hot I was. Um, and actually, the moment you get out of the shower, you're immediately hot again, right? But you get, just get back in for another, like, two minutes, and then you get back out. So, yeah, I, uh, it, was, uh, it made me really appreciate the ability to take a cold shower.
0: Um, so give me a timeline. When did you go um, to Vietnam, go back to Vietnam? Um, how old were you? Uh, how, you know, how long have you been working? At yeah, Center? so
1: it was, uh, it was in 2010, so I would have been um, – I guess thirty years old, right mm-hmm. um, and uh, my wife had a trip to uh, a business trip that we decided that um, we would tack on Vietnam to our business trip to Singapore, and so we spent four days there and and really it was it was it was meant to show my parents that a Canadian kid going to Vietnam could survive um, I mean unfortunately, uh, as a result of the war in Vietnam you know, my parents suffered in through different ways. Uh, uh, both my grandparents were jailed for a period of time. Um my in fact my, my late grandfather on my mom's side was jailed for thirteen years. Mm-hmm. Um as a result their family unit was was just changed. They had to they had to like respond different ways. Obviously the leaving the country was very difficult. And so you hear all these stories and and I totally understand why it would be difficult for them to think about going back. Mm-hmm. So for me it was this thing that said I want to still learn about the country and I would love to visit. Um, Maybe as a Canadian kid, I can go back and just have fun, come back with really good stories and tell them. And that was really the catalyst for the trip. And so even though it was just four days, it was a great four days because I could come back and say, hey, like, I survived. I'm alive. Um, (laughs)
0: They didn't imprison me, mom. Exactly, right?
1: Um, And, and. You know, part of me is is sensitive to the I, the fact that they had these experiences, and so that's what's driving the hesitancy. Mm-hmm. But on the other side, part of me was saying, "But I have, I really want to know." Right, right. Um. And so I was able to bring back and say, "I know your hesitancy will always be there, mm. but just so you know, I was able to have all these wonderful experiences, right. um, and I would love to share that with you at some point when you're ready."
0: Right. Like it's obviously intellectually easy to understand why there is that hesitation. Uh, but it doesn't change the curiosity of our generation and and the desire to engage more fully with that part of our existence. That's
1: right. And I think you know, like, from for most of it, at least the, most of my circle of friends, you graduate college and people are like, "What are you gonna do? I'm gonna go backpack Europe." Right. Right. <laughs> right? right. And so it was like the first thing that we did when we graduated was we went to uh, Paris, uh, Madrid, and Barcelona. Uh-huh. Right? And came back and it was like, "Oh, that's so fun." Yeah. And I was like, well, why do I want to go to those places when I haven't even explored where I'm from? Mm-hmm. And and that's that's you're right. Like I think there's that curiosity that um, our generation has. It's just like I, I just want to explore places. And so quickly I came over and I said, well, why not the place where I came from?
0: Right. I mean, the the Vietnamese American or North American in us is respectful and and to our elders and say, you know, I understand um you know but i think also the young person in us is kind of like line up you know <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. god it's kind of been a long time you yeah. know and and it's it's not something you can say to your parents of face not. because it's not fair to have that perception and impose it on them but at the same time vietnam is changing so quickly that's and right it's a, and also you know you pointed it out um the, the amount of opportunity. I mean, as a business professional, what are you what did you see in your most recent trip in Vietnam?
1: I, I saw a lot of young 30 somethings, um, all educated, I guess, in the broadly the Western world, uh, coming back, setting up businesses, um, trying to work with local companies to help them grow. Help them develop international operations mm-hmm. um, help them just take the business models that existed there um, and and integrate their western knowledge and experience to 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 take them to to a new place and to me that that was very exciting mm-hmm. um, you know part of being in in the u s and Canada as a whole is we have very sophisticated companies we have uh, very experienced management teams, and so in some ways sometimes they feel like oh, I'm just another one of those uh, whereas here I saw a bunch of young people taking their relatively great ideas and good experience and having an opportunity to really contribute and make an impact and so that was pretty exciting
0: our, our actually our guest a couple weeks ago was a photographer who said there's no other place where I could have where I was enabled to start out as a full-time photographer out of out of photography school yeah. you know um, but what I'm hearing from your mouth it sounds like maybe a few the development of a future exchange program with the business school that's what i'm hearing
1: <laughs> yeah you never know you never know we'll, we'll leave that line out there some
0: consulting gigs <laughs> out there huh? yeah
1: if there's a school out there that's interested in you know you can you can find me on the web and uh, we can always try to explore that
0: mm-hmm. uh, i want to in a bit i want to hear more about your very what i understand esteemed early career as a uh, lion dancer um but but first i'd like to go to our segment vietiquette where we explore the quirks and charm of culture and etiquette both here in vietnamese new orleans and in vietnam Um, you shared a couple topics that i thought were uh, very familiar and made me smile um food
1: yeah food food food's so integral to our culture um when i was growing up i could remember every get-together involved food Mm -hmm. um and now how it manifests is even when i call my mom on the phone (laughs) like the first question she always asks me is or um you know have you eaten and part of me gets it because we always would get together and eat right but i'm like 34 years old now uh (laughs) I wonder if she actually thinks maybe sometimes you I don't feed eat. yourself. Right? I don't uh, know how to feed And so yourself. They, I'm kind of drawn, like, I guess, torn between these two. Like, I get you because it's part of a culture. And, Mom, do you really think I don't eat properly? <laughs> and so I think that was kind of one of the ones that I thought was, uh, that kind of quickly sprung to mind when you had asked me to think about some of these <laughs> Vietnamese etiquette and customs.
0: Or how about when you go back to visit your folks and they'll discuss their plans for the next seven meals. You know, I mean, as if it, the decision needs to be made as soon as you arrive, when you'll be going to this restaurant, yes. when you want banquen? Yeah. and when
1: you're going yeah. to be. Yeah, my, my mom's the most amazing cook ever. Uh-huh. And she always asks me, what do you want to have? And she always makes a massive spread. <laughs> Even if like they're, they're going to be there one night and they're going to leave the whole like week I'm there. And so I'll go in the fridge and it's awesome because I just open the fridge and I've got all kinds of stuff <laughs> yeah. I can eat.
0: You'd think the way our parents act about food, that there was going to be a run on cooking supplies That's or exactly something. It. And yeah. so they had to like just go, go in for it and just do everything that their kid wants.
1: It's funny because now that you say that, I think sometimes or a lot of times when we vacation, mm-hmm. uh, Chris and I vacation, um, a lot of it's structured around a meal. So i will be like, OK, well, uh, I'm not too concerned about what we're going to do between lunch and dinner <laughs> but we're going to have lunch in this area and we're going to have right. dinner in this area and then chris will say oh like we should go to this museum I was like, okay fine well the three museums between lunch and dinner are this this and this <laughs>
0: if we can fit it in between exactly meals, right we but we only have four hours right? <laughs> right.
1: not not that we couldn't move lunch or dinner but it's just that's that, those are the most important things
0: uh, the other thing you brought up is something that I can laugh at at this point in my life, but it was really annoying for a very long time. Uh, love and marriage and kids. Yeah. Right?
1: Yeah. This is this is I was going to say like, I got married at 25 um, shortly after college. And so I really had not much of the. Get married pressure, yeah. which smart I know, man. Yeah. Smart man. which I know for my you know. I mean, Chris
0: seems great and all, but <laughs> you were smart. Yeah,
1: exactly, right. And so, you know, I know for my Vietnamese single friends, that's a huge pressure of saying, get married. Right. Um, in fact, you know, my little brother is is single. He has a, a wonderful girlfriend, but you know, he, I'm sure he feels a lot of pressure to get married. Um, so I never had that, and that was nice. But unfortunately, what I didn't really realize was the moment you get married, it was have kids. Right. <laughs> so it's like, oh, man, I just I dealt with one pressure and now I have the had kids pressure. And so that was uh, we got married in 2005. So, uh-huh. you know, we're we're eight plus years into this. Right. Your wife
0: also happens to be a full professor. correct? Yeah, so it's right. like, oh, that's cute that she wants a career. But yeah. when are the kids coming? Yeah, that's right. right.
1: As a as a tenure track assistant professor at, at Tulane, you know, she's. She she recently finished her her PhD and and now is basically starting the next uh, stage of her career, mm-hmm. and so you know we we've both really worked hard to establish um, our careers and work hard at uh, advancing them, and uh, and so it just hasn't been a priority for us for mm-hmm. now, mm-hmm. but you know being Vietnamese and eight plus years into your marriage. Uh, the pressure is strong. They're
0: like, what's wrong? Exactly. What's wrong, right? Like, what's wrong?
1: And so on the one hand, I can, I can totally understand that they're just trying to encourage us to do something that they were very happy and made a really positive impact on their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, it's tough because it feels like, like on some level, you're not good enough. Right, right, right. What you have is not enough. And so it's, it, it's challenging at times.
0: Oh, listen. You've got it easy, Okay. <laughs> Thirty-six unmarried female, right here. Okay, so you know what? You have not gone through the level of interrogation sure. from even your nieces and nephews. Oh, I'm sure. Okay, <laughs> that
1: I've gone I'm sure you get it from total strangers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Taxi drivers in sure, Vietnam. right? Yeah. That's what I mean. Like we amazing. we get it from total strangers about <laughs> right. the kids thing. So I'm sure for you, you'd get it from total strangers about being unmarried.
0: Okay, so I I want to tap into your wealth of knowledge as a former. I think you said you were the tail of the dragon what people commonly refer to as the dragon dance which is actually called the lion dance there yeah. supposed to be a lion in uh in Toronto
1: yeah um I mean at the time I was uh, I was participating in a, a kung fu club mm-hmm. and so you know every weekend we get together and 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 practice mm-hmm. but then come you know Or different times of the year when it would be appropriate to do uh, the lion dance, uh, we would practice and perform.
0: Call to order.
1: Exactly. (laughs) Um, Unfortunately, uh, I'm a relatively small man. I'm I'm five (laughs) foot five, and at that time, significantly weighed significantly less. So uh, uh, I never really got to hang onto the front of the lion and do all that (laughs) stuff because it's not very impressive when you're a short person. So I was always the tail, Um, and the tail was terrible. At least the way I did it <laughs> i mean you're you're basically in a in a squatting position um with fully bent over with your arms like stretched out in like this fly kind of position and then you're flapping so you're squatting and bent over and flapping and you're doing this for a long period of time. Yeah. And if you've done any of these exercises with weights, uh, whether it's flies, whether it's squatting, uh, whether it's like touching your toes, like, you can't do that for a long time. So <laughs> it's
0: really not 20 minutes. Exactly. Right. <laughs> so
1: this was excruciating painful. Um, and, uh, you know, as were there you, extra
0: were there added benefits as, as being the tail to I, compensate for the poor working conditions? I'm
1: I'm not really sure because like, the thing is, I, I wasn't that strong either, so I couldn't do those really acrobatic moves where the the head jumps on your shoulders and then you lift them <laughs> up. Uh, which because we were at when we were at the, like a couple weeks yeah, ago we together, we that. saw that yeah. and they were really impressive, pretty amazing. Like actually, they yeah. they actually didn't have small people as a the tail; they had these big strong guys like lifting people up. I'm like, man, they were much better yeah. than me. But uh yeah I don't I don't think there was. And I it was mean like we were,
0: kung fu meets cheerleading competition. Th- that's actually. right. And yeah. so they
1: they were much more impressive than I remember I ever was as a tail.
0: Well, it's good. How old were you at the time?
1: Uh, that's a good question. I probably was uh, in middle school or high school, okay. so probably like say 14 or
0: Any desire to re- to, you know, delve back into that profession?
1: Absolutely not. <laughs> okay. Absolutely not.
0: Any projects that you are thinking about in the future involving Vietnam or or anything with the New Orleanian community?
1: Well, I think for me is just trying to navigate my way into that community. Mm -hmm. Um, I think in part it's intimidating because as a Vietnamese Canadian, I think some would assume that I know a lot more about being Vietnamese or I'm a lot more comfortable in the way I speak Vietnamese, mm-hmm. but the reality is I'm not. And there seems to be this great opportunity in New Orleans to better integrate with that community. But I, I have my own, I guess, insecurities about what's going to happen if I can't say the right thing, or mm-hmm. what if I don't know a custom, and so
0: or use the wrong pronoun to address
1: someone. Sure, right, yeah. which yeah. is really important Total for make us. make or break. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but. That's in part why I was really excited to meet you, is because I feel like in a lot of ways you've oh already, in the short time we met, there's
0: someone weirder than yeah. me who <laughs> totally knows this community.
1: Yeah. And so that's, but that's <laughs> that's what for me is really helpful. And I mean, in the short time I've known you, we've we've gone out to the east for for Thet. Um, we've gone out like it's just it's it's nice to have someone to help you there. And so I think uh, in terms of the Vietnamese community, I, I would love to try to understand how to interact with with the community better and get to know them better so that, you know, I, hopefully I can bring my talents to that community and, and make it better.
0: Absolutely. It, it actually does have a very strong entrepreneurial component to the Vietnamese community here. Um, and I think it is nice for, you know, young professionals like us uh, to have that community there when you're Vietnamese-American or Vietnamese-Western. Yeah. Um, it is a source of comfort, um, yeah. and I'm, I'm glad to have met you. And it is nice to hear your story in ways it's similar and not similar um and what it's like to be cold as a vietnamese person which i only experienced for six years yeah. you've had a whole lifetime of that yeah. so so welcome to the big easy and thank you so much for coming on the show
1: well thank you for having me
0: that's Vietnam for today thank you so much for joining us at home at work on your phone wherever you are and whatever you're doing and thanks a special thanks to today's guest Hu quang Our show is produced by Kim Vu, Tom Lasher and Grant Morris Our technical director is Chris Kehoe Our theme song was composed by Taylor Smith and performed by the Swamp Lilies The fabulous audio quality of this show is brought to you in part by PreSonus Audio Electronics. PreSonus makes some of the best audio recording and live sounding products, including Studio One music production software, Studio Live digital mixing consoles, Air Studio monitors, and much more. Visit www.presonus.com for more information. You can follow us on Twitter at It's New Orleans. You can like us on Facebook. We're at It's New Orleans. And you can subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes and Stitcher. You can listen to our other Vietnola shows on our website, itsneworleans.com, as well as our other shows, Happy Hour, Out to Lunch, Mindset, True to the Game, and Midnight Menu Plus One. Keep up with all kinds of fun happenings here at Vietnola by getting on our mailing list. Sign up on our website, itsneworleans.com vietnola was recorded today in the lovely city of new orleans if you'd like to be a guest on vietnola we'd love to have you drop us a line you'll find all the information you need on our website vietnola is produced by ino broadcasting for its new com. for everyone here at vietnola thanks for joining us today we look forward to seeing you back here next week for our next episode of vietnola until then i'm kim vu bye-bye summer's almost over, but at Old Navy the styles are as hot as ever. Get to Old Navy now for 30% off all jeans, 40% off all dresses, and 50% off all tees. That's right, get 30, 40, and 50% off all your favorite styles for the whole family, plus up to 75% off clearance. Hurry in fast. These deals won't last. The sale ends soon at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid in-store 822-828
1: and online 822-824. Excludes in-store clearance, bubbles, active, licensed, and men's package tees.